0: Um, as many of you know, my parents are in town with us this weekend, and uh, we had an awesome time with them uh, in Minneapolis and went to the Mall of America and just just enjoyed hanging out and letting the kids run wild, and you know it was great. So we get home last night, and uh, they go back to their hotel, and the kids are going to bed, and, and I made a mistake that I've made many times before, and I let my phone out of my sight again, and uh, I, I didn't know where it was. Uh, but I got a phone call that went straight to my, my iPad, and it was uh, a number that I didn't recognize because the name didn't come up. And then I searched the house and realized it was it was Bruce, one of our elders, giving me a phone call. Well, I realized that, realized that my five-year-old had taken my phone and had sent numerous mass text messages to all of our elders at the same time. You laugh, but I didn't know whether to be upset or just to laugh about it. It's one of those moments that you just you don't know. So he started out, which I'm really proud of him, he spelt his name correctly, he just sent Weston over to him, pretty harmless, right? And then what followed was just some gibberish, some words that are not words, and I think one of our elders thought I was having a seizure. And then what followed that was the word poop, which was spelled out just right, and then what followed that was, was the poop emoji and then again the word poop, and then again the poop emoji. And welcome to OCC. This is what we talk about on Sunday morning. So moral to the story, I guess, we, we need to take the extra step and not let our kids have our phones anymore. But I didn't, know, I didn't know whether to be upset or to laugh, and Faith looked at me last night, and I'm trying to get onto to Weston, and she's just, you know, tears almost in her eye because she's laughing so hard. So I couldn't follow through with the discipline last night. It was just, uh, it is what it is, and, and we'll learn our lesson. We'll Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about how the book of Luke, it really does help the reader understand why we believe what we believe. Remember, Luke was a Greek Gentile doctor who heard the unlikely story of Jesus' birth, his life and ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. He heard these stories, the unlikely story, and he believed. So for the sake of a friend who we know, whose name is Theophilus. Um, Luke uh, and his friend believed in Jesus as well. We, we know that maybe he had some questions and maybe even some doubts when it came to, to the details of the story of Jesus. But for the sake of this friend, uh, Luke set out to write what Scripture says is an orderly account or an accurate account, giving his friend Theophilus the details so that he could piece together what really happened throughout the life of Jesus. And it's through Luke's writing style That the words that we read at the very beginning of his gospel uh, were presented with the idea that our faith in Christ was never meant to be uh, just faith in faith. Uh, Our faith was never meant to be just belief in, in belief. See, as followers of Jesus, our faith is rooted in historical events that actually took place. So Luke thoroughly investigated these events by talking to eyewitnesses who would have known Jesus personally. Can you imagine that? He, he talked to eyewitnesses who would have spent time with Jesus. People who would have witnessed the miracles of Jesus firsthand. Luke helps his friend understand that the stories that have been told about Jesus are, are more than just stories. And that's the theme for this entire message series, that the power in the Christmas story is just that. It's more than just a story. So in week one, we took a closer look at the first four verses in Luke's gospel. And I want to reread those together this morning because they lead right into uh, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter one, verse five. So in week one, we talked about Luke one, verses one through four, and we'll, we'll read those together. It says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. And uh, we talked about in week one how that word disciples doesn't just mean uh, the 12. It means any believer at that time. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Uh, This is Luke talking. I have also decided to write an account, an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So from these four verses, we talked about how, as a doctor, uh, Luke wanted to know the facts, and he wanted to make sure that he could pass on an accurate, orderly account of what really happened. And, And he did this by talking with eyewitnesses to the birth. Life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke personally knew a lot of the people that we encounter in the New Testament, and he investigated these events so that his friend Theophilus, and so that all of us, so that the church today could be certain of the truth. Luke doesn't just give us a story; he gives us the real account of what actually happened. You know, I was thinking this past week if we were to gather this morning and, and survey the room and compare the details of all of our past Christmas experiences, you know, I would bet that there'd be uh, some differences, but there'd be a lot of similarities. And one similarity that I was thinking about this week, maybe you can relate to this, is the agonizing weight that we have to endure before Christmas morning arrives. All right? Think back to this. Even as an adult, I don't know how it's possible, but the days leading up to Christmas seems so much longer than any other days throughout the entire year. I remember this being a lot worse when I was a kid. You, know, you couldn't sleep at night. You were just excited. You, you, I don't know what it was, but even as an adult, it, it's still there. It's hard to wait for Christmas morning to arrive. But the great thing is this, and this is what was going through my head this week, that no matter how slow its arrival, no matter how much we, we have to wait, and it's probably a lot worse for our kids But no matter how long we have to wait, Christmas morning always comes. Right? Every December 25th. And the feeling of waiting with great anticipation was also the feeling leading up to the very first Christmas. In fact, prior to the first Christmas, for many generations, there were always a handful of Jewish people who waited every single day for the arrival, not of Santa, but of the Messiah. For Jewish families, the Messiah was the promised one, the one God had talked about in the Old Testament and promised would come and lead his people. But unlike the certainty of our Christmases, which we know, again, comes every December 25th, this waiting went on for generation after generation with no results. And because of this, 99.9% of the people who waited so diligently for the coming of the Messiah either died died seeing no fulfillment of this promise, or they started to believe that they'd been told a myth. Can you imagine that, being told something through your family, this, a promise that God had given you, and it was going to happen, but you just never saw the fulfillment of that promise? But what's amazing when you read the New Testament is you see there, there was always a group of people that got up every single day and lived their lives as, as if this could be the day that the Messiah would come. And today I want to introduce you to two of these people. But before we look at today's scripture, I want to tell you why these people and their story are so relevant for our lives today. You see, at some point in your Christian walk, individually, as a family, even as a church, you'll find yourself in a season where it seems like God is, is so quiet and so seemingly silent that it will shake your faith. You'll ask questions like, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, why am I still going to church? Why am I still serving? Why, why am I still praying? Am, am I just following? Because this is what my parents taught me to do. Do I really still believe? At some point in all of our lives, there will be a season or seasons when in our attempt to be faithful and good Christian people, we'll wonder if there's purpose and meaning to our faith. You know, if you've ever had that thought or maybe you're in a season right now where where you're personally questioning things and you have some some doubt, then I want to say this to you, the the Christmas story is for you. In fact, the Christmas story as it relates to the two characters that we're going to look at today is really your story and my story. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 1 Uh, verses 5 and 6. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. You can also follow along on the screen with us this morning. These are the words that we read. Um, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. So Zachariah and Elizabeth were both from priestly lines of Israel, which basically means that they were both preacher's kids, and they came from a long line of preacher's kids. That's that's basically what that means. So I want want to see this morning in the room. Did we have any preacher's kids in the room this morning? Any PKs in the house? A couple? All right. Notice they didn't raise them very high. But... (laughs) Well, Luke, Luke tells us that when God looked at Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, he thought they were getting a lot of things right based on their faith in the Lord, based on how they were living their lives. They were careful to obey all of God's commands and, and regulations. And notice what this does not say. It does not say that, that they were concerned about the hundreds of man-made rules and, and laws and regulations that were put in place at that time. We know that there, there were over 600 man-made rules and laws, these, these legalistic rules that some of the religious leaders would have families and individuals follow. It was, it, it was like a weight stacked on top of you that you could never fulfill. They weren't concerned about that. Instead, they focused on obeying God's instruction from God's word. That's what was important. And here's what's great about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They they were doing what they were doing. Zechariah, a priest, both of them followers of God, both of them being faithful to God based on promises that were given generations earlier. Keep in mind, leading up to this time, this point in history, God had been silent, completely silent towards the nation of Israel for around 400 years. Even though God had been silent, these two woke up every single day with the family mission of living their lives for the Lord. I love that idea of having a family mission, of having a vision for your family. We should have a vision for our families. We should have a vision for our church, with what God, that God's purpose in our life. I believe that these two had a family mission of living their lives for the Lord. They woke up every day living their lives as though this could be the day that the Messiah would come. They woke up every day believing that God was going to keep his promise. Now, we have to keep in mind that their waiting was, was different than our waiting. There was no evidence anywhere that God was going to show up and do something during that specific time. And yet, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they followed God wholeheartedly. They even followed God in spite of some personal struggles they were, they were dealing with. Now, neither of them were perfect. They were both sinful people. But they had faith in the Lord, they trusted in the Lord, and they followed God's word. And they did this again in spite of some personal struggles. Just the the following verse, in verse 7 we read, They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So why does Luke bring this up so early on in Luke's gospel? Well, this is a very personal, this is a very difficult situation. Many people today struggle with this. Many people, I, I would be willing to guess that this has impacted this church in a huge way over the years. These two waited every day for the Messiah. Zachariah serving in the temple, both being faithful with their lives. Missing out on other opportunities that life had to offer. And you have to wonder if maybe in the back of their minds, they thought, you know, this God that we're so faithful to is leaving us without an heir. He's leaving us without, without any children. And even though they had done most things right in life, it seemed like an impossible situation for them. They had a lot of things working against them. Not only was Elizabeth unable to conceive a child physically, but Scripture says that they were also both really old, so that they had a couple things working against them. And what I love about their story is that their faithfulness to God came from more than convenience. If you're taking notes today, that's something that you might want to consider writing down. I love that idea that their their faithfulness in God came from more than convenience. Today we make the church a lot about convenience, right? We've talked about some of these things. I think our church has gone through a couple of seasons where we've wrestled with some of those things. What what is worship? What does it mean for the church to gather together? You know, we come in and we have the comfy seats and the air conditioning or the heating and and none of these things are bad, but when we make worship about those things or we make our life about those things, it becomes about convenience and, and ourselves. And what one thing we learn from them is, is they had a lot of they had a lot of struggles, a lot of deep hurt in their life, and they they still continued to worship the Lord. They still continued to have faith in the Lord outside of what was convenient. It was based on a promise made to a man named Abraham generations earlier. And that promise is recorded for us. I love this. And in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we have this promise. It says the Lord said to Abram, This is Abraham before God changed his name. Uh, Leave your native country, leave your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So when I read this, we see most of this promise had been fulfilled during the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Abraham, or Abram at this time, left his home country, moved to a new land. I mean, that's scary in and of itself, right? Getting up and just leaving, going somewhere you've never, never been before. We we read God had built a great nation uh, through him, through Israel, and made his name famous. But verse 3 is where the promise might have looked doubtful for these two people, for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we know the you is Abraham and the lineage of Abraham. And this was the the root idea for God's people, that there was something more for them. God had something more in store for his people. You see, if you go all the way back to Genesis, after God gave Abraham this promise, Abraham finally had a son of his own who had a son who had a bunch of sons who, who moved to Egypt, and they became the nation of Israel. And while they were there, uh, they found themselves in bondage and slavery. And eventually, God made a way for them to make it to the promised land, the land that was promised to them, where they became a strong nation. And at that point in Scripture— Things really began to took off. It it looked like now was the time that God was going to bless all the peoples of the earth through the lineage of Abraham. You know, during this golden age of Israel, things were looking really good. But then everything began to fall apart. The nations split. We read that there were wars. There were some good kings and then some really, really bad kings. Israel was conquered. Their their land was occupied. The people, they were exiled. They were split up from their own homes. And the idea that somehow the entire world would be blessed through them, a people who no longer had any leverage whatsoever, no longer had any wealth. Imagine working your entire life for your retirement or to pass something on to your kids, and then that just being forcefully taken from you. Everything that you own, your physical possessions, the things that you value. This, this people group was forced to leave the land that they knew as home. So for Zachariah and Elizabeth, the idea that somehow the entire world would be blessed through them, a people who no longer had any leverage, wealth, or say-so about their future, this seemed absolutely crazy. But it gets worse. We know from extra-biblical historical texts that in, in 63 BC, there was a guy named Pompey the Great. He was a Roman general. He marched right into Jerusalem. He pushed past the temple guards and priests, and he walked right up to and then into the Holy of Holies. This is where the Jews believed that God dwelt. You see, what's significant about that? Well, only the high priest was allowed to enter near the Holy of Holies unannou- uh, once per year. In fact, The Jewish people believed that if you went into the Holy of Holies unannounced, uninvited, that God would strike you dead right then and there. So when Pompey walked right up to and then into the Holy of Holies and nothing happened to him, word began to spread around Jerusalem. The implications seemed clear that the the gods of the Romans and Jupiter, and more specifically, must be more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel. See, Zechariah, and I think this is so neat, Zechariah was a little boy when all of this happened. So you have to get maybe in the mind of, of a child for a second. His father would have been a priest during this time. And even though God had done nothing to stop such a horrible thing from happening, even though he witnessed these things with his own eyes, God still did this huge work in his life. He, you could say Zechariah was maybe burned by the church as a kid, <laughs> and God still began to work in his life and he still chose to go into the priesthood he still chose to serve God with his entire life you know i believe during this time many jews would have turned away from temple worship turned away from their belief in God you know when things get rough when things get difficult in the church it's easy for us to just go somewhere else we think that that new is better we think that new is is easier but we see through the faithfulness of these two people, they, they decided not to do that. If you were a Jewish person living in that time, it would have been easy for you to, to whisper in their ears, Guys, it's, it's over. Everything you had been taught, everything that your parents uh, told you when you were a kid, it was all a myth. Israel will never be what it once was. God has abandoned you. But if you would have, if you would have whispered that into their ears, um, you would have been wrong. See, the reason Luke begins his account with Zachariah and Elizabeth is because something new was happening that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of God's promise that he made to Abraham generations earlier. And this story matters for our lives because, as I've said earlier, you'll have moments in your life, you'll have seasons in your life when you wonder, is God still active? Is God listening to my prayers? Does God still care about me? If you're here today and you're in Christ, as a Christian, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Let's look and see how Zachariah and Elizabeth's story continues. In verse 8 through 10, we read these words. We'll have them up there in just a second when our sound guy gets to it. There we go. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was custom with, uh, of the priest, he was chosen, chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So the priests, on duty, they would cast lots. And this is really like the first form of gambling, all right? And uh, that's kind of funny. It's a little bit funny. All right, imagine this. I'll put it into terms that maybe we can all relate to. I finish the sermon, we close in worship, and we go outside, and before you can leave, right after you shake my hand, we have to throw a dice to see how you're going to serve in the church next week. All right, how about that? And I can just see it now. You guys are lining up, and in the back of your mind, maybe your fingers are crossed, and you're like, not the nursery, not the nursery, not the nursery. (laughs) This is what's happening, because there were jobs that people didn't want at the time. Well, this job, everybody wanted. All right, it's not something that, it's a a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So Zechariah was chosen to offer incense in the Holy of Holies. And and once he was chosen, he would stand right outside the curtain that divided what was the, the outer temple from the Holy of Holies. Everybody else would leave the temple while the priest offered incense to God, because this was a very sacred thing to do for them. Let's pick up in verse 11. Uh, through 16, it says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, so while he's in there by himself, everybody's outside, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, as I imagine any of us would be. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And then verse 16, I'm going to read, and then we're going to come back to, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. I want to say this to you this morning, church. Um, God answers prayers in his own way and in his own time. In Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, God, God begins to work in what seems like an impossible situation through impossible circumstances. So I think as a side note and maybe a lesson for, for our church this morning is this, that if we're crying out to God, if we're praying about something specific, God says, never give up. Keep praying about those things. Be persistent in your, in your prayers. But if you want your prayers to be answered, it might be that we have to be open to what God can do in impossible situations. Right, you might find yourself in a season right now that you do not want to be in, but it might be through that season that God works in you and through you. It might be in that season that God answers your prayer. Maybe not in the way that, that you're asking for. Because remember, God answers prayer in his way and and in his time. We have to wait on the Lord. So verse 16, I said we were going to come back to. It tells us that this baby, who we know later is John the Baptist, would help turn many people back to God. And again, I read that and I wonder, okay, Luke, why would you include that? Why is that important? I believe it's because many of the people in Israel had abandoned God. God had not abandoned them. They had abandoned God. God had been silent in Israel for hundreds of years, and people started to believe that the promise that was made to Abraham generations earlier, that that promise was over, that it was a myth. So Luke reminds them that, hey, this promise is being fulfilled as we speak. Let's continue reading and see what happens. Verse 17 through 20 says, He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So Zechariah responds at this point. He says to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. That was Zechariah's way of saying, My wife is really old. I wonder if they laughed back and forth a little bit. But then the angel gets pretty serious and he says, I am Gabriel. Imagine this. Imagine hearing this. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it was he who sent me to, to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled. And then hear these last words at the proper time. In other words, don't miss this, church. God had this day marked on his calendar since the beginning of time. God has waited hundreds of years on purpose, he didn't wait as a form of punishment or or discipline for his people. He waited on purpose. God had watched his people abandon him. Yet there was an appointed time for all of these things to take place. God never stopped working. He heard not only the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But also the prayers of hundreds and thousands of people throughout the generations. And that, that leads us really to the main point of the message today. If you write one thing down, write this down. And that is when God is silent, it does not mean that he is still. When God is silent, it does not mean that he is still. Let's see how this this story wraps up in verse 21 through 25. Meanwhile, the the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary. They They were waiting, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't, even, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And here's her response. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Look at the detail that Luke puts into this gospel. We know he, he was led by the Holy Spirit to pin these words. And when I read this story, I'm reminded that although faithful, remember, they were counted righteous in the eyes of God. They, they were faithful to God. They followed all of God's commandments and regulations. Although faithful, Zachariah and Elizabeth still struggled with doubt. And that's okay. It's okay because God was able to use their doubt to bring them to a place of greater trust in him. And it's through their story that you and I are reminded that God is always faithful, even when we are not. God is always faithful, even when we are not. Their story reminds us that when we're struggling with the tough questions like, Do I stop believing? is God really listening? Am I still am I valuable to God? That your faith is not misplaced today. Your faith is not misplaced. The Christmas story is a reminder that even when God is silent, it does not mean that he is still. Even when God is silent, it does not mean that he is still. So in closing, I want to say this. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you're in the middle of an uncertain season in your life. Maybe, maybe you have an illness that you're struggling with. Maybe there are family issues that you're trying to work through. Maybe there are issues of faith. It's my prayer that you would allow God's word to speak to your heart this season like never before. Let's be like Zechariah and Elizabeth, men and women who are confident that God is who he says he is, that God will keep his promises, and that God's with us every single day. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth were not perfect people. The only perfect person that we see in scripture is Jesus Christ himself. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not perfect. You and I are not perfect. We we sin, we struggle. But God goes with us because of the birth of a baby boy in a humble stable not John but Jesus and this season is a reminder more than any other time of the year that God is a God who can be trusted even when he's silent it does not mean that he's still God is more than faithful in fulfilling his promises today church I want to just encourage you to put your trust in the Lord It's that simple. God is who he says he is. Today, put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. No matter it is what you're going through, no matter the season that you find yourself in, trust in the Lord.